Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and today we're talking in depth about baby wearing with my guest, Laura Brown. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I, if we're going to talk about baby caring, you're the person to talk about it. I've never seen anybody as passionate about you, about baby wearing. Uh, you're a Baby Wearing Institute trained baby wearing educator. You're a speaker, and uh, you're also a postpartum doula. And Laura is the founder of Mama Bird Postpartum. She organizes baby wearing groups in the Southern California area, and she's so passionate about baby wearing. I remember when informed pregnancy was in its infancy, pun partially intended, that uh, we, we even had a hard time finding you. But everybody was talking about, oh, if you want to know about baby wearing, call Laura. And eventually you came with like a whole menagerie of baby wearing devices. <laughs> and uh, there, you had so much information about it. How, how did you get that involved and passionate with baby wearing? Well, when my son was born in 2008, um, I found myself woefully unprepared, as many first-time parents do. And you know what? He cried a lot, as babies do, but I really needed a tool uh, that really offered him and I both some comfort and some ability to really get out of the house. And I tried many, and, and they just didn't fit me, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't just go somewhere and get help. And it really was a slippery slope from that point on where I ordered anything that I could find on the Internet, and I just tried them and learned to use them because I felt like we kind of had to. You were ordering different types of carrying devices? Yes, um, all styles of carriers that I could find that were available at that particular time. At, at that point, there weren't near as many as there are now. There's a lot on the market today. Yeah, there's a infinite amounts. It's really quite amazing um, that there's some something for everyone, which is, I think, what's so amazing about it is they were harder to find. And now you can walk into almost any store that carries baby products and they have an array of carriers. Mm-hmm. So... It, it was out of necessity for yourself that yes. you, you started to research them. What did what did you find in the end? Did you find the one that works well for you? I what I really ended up finding out is that different carriers work better in different situations, and that 
carriers are really so personal and they fit everyone differently and they fit babies differently. So it can take some trial and error. And I know that that's sometimes a barrier and why um, caregivers can be a little frustrated about choosing a carrier is because they just don't understand all the options or what might be the best one for them. Okay. Today, we're definitely going to talk through a lot of different options and there are so many. And uh, and sort of try to get more clarity on on different categories of carriers and how you might figure out which one is good for you at that particular time and how to use it properly. Um, but before we get there, on a much more fundamental level, what is the purpose of of the carrier in the first place? Of does everybody need a carrier? I think that baby carriers really were bred from necessity to start, really, that you realize that you needed your hands to get things done. You needed to work. You need to do dishes. You need to get out of the house, um, have your baby on your front or have your baby on your back to, to really just function. And we're now in a different, you know, modern society now where we're almost having to justify these kinds of purposes, you know, purchases to be more than just their initial use. Um, but what we found through um, both kangaroo care and skin to skin, as well as baby wearing, is that oxytocin, that really amazing love hormone that we talk about, you know, in terms of relationships and birth, um, is really um, increased and brought about by contact. Um, and we know that as a culture, we are not really. Um, touching enough. And, and I know that sometimes that, that word can be, you know, a little bit off-putting, but really we're meant to carry and hold our babies. Um, lots of little clues about our babies tell us this, such as their small stomachs, needing to be close to a food source, um, the way that um, they are born in a spread squat position and the way that they curl into us and the nerves in the upper part of our chest, the seat afferent nerves for kangaroo care, all of that kind of gives us clues that our babies are meant to be with us and they're immature. They're not um, like giraffes or horses where they magically are born and run off. They need us um, for really the, ser- the first several years of infancy uh, to gain confidence and love and trust and to really be able to learn how to have relationships. I will never forget watching an elephant birth on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think you can search it. It's called like Risky Business, R-I-S-K-I, because <laughs> her name was Risky, and it's at an elephant reserve. And um, first of all, it's an amazing thing to watch just before, I, th- I think, before you give birth, because you see kind of how animals in nature do it without thinking about it, without, they don't even take a class, I don't think, or read a book. Um and when she's in labor, it's very intense, uh, but it, she doesn't seem scared at all. You can tell when an animal's fearful. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem scared at all. She just, it's intense, and she does this sort of dance back and forth that I've now seen many women do in labor. And, um, you know, she's just responding to what she's feeling with movement. And they can make a lot of noise, but she doesn't really make any noise. And slowly but surely, you watch this, like, 275-pound baby uh, actually just fall out from behind her with enough amniotic fluid to probably drown some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> just magically she turns around, right? I mean, she just knows instinctively to turn mm-hmm. around. And she's looking at this tiny little elephant that just came out of her. And the baby's on the floor not breathing. 
And she starts to go through like a protocol of what do I have to do to get this baby breathing? Almost like she's remembering a PowerPoint presentation that Mm -hmm. she saw in childbirth ed. And uh, she sort of kind of kicks the baby a little bit and doesn't do anything. And she she's just she's tries to clear off some of the amniotic sac and fluid. And then eventually what she does is she wraps her trunk around the baby's trunk and just gives a yank. And I, if you listen to it, listen for this. It almost sounds like a chiropractic adjustment. You hear like a little... And instantly, the baby starts taking its breaths. It's it's kind of amazing. Now, um, the narrator and and she's on an elephant reserve, and they they have lights on her, and they're filming it, and they say very specifically, "We decided not to intervene because they tend to know what to do." It's, Absolutely, it's kind of amazing. But uh, that reminds me a lot of human mothers and what we um, almost train um, mothers and caregivers to ignore uh, those natural instincts to want to 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 be with their baby and to hold their baby and touch and and really interact in a way that that feels right to them. Yeah, it's amazing. The the next piece of that that's kind of amazing also is just a minute or two later, she's like smacking his is behind with her trunk and he gets up on his four legs and starts to walk around wobbly and I'm like wow amazing <laughs> I'm like wow I had to hold the bottle for a long time <laughs> can you imagine if, if humans were like that <laughs> yeah. so you're right like it's obvious when you see things like that in nature and then you see our babies come out that they, they are designed for some reason to need a lot more TLC you talked about kangaroo care can you define what that is So kangaroo care is the act of placing your baby um, on your upper chest area where you are naked and the baby is also naked. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, really over time discovered the incredible benefits of it. And it's why um, if you've heard the term um, baby-friendly or baby-friendly hospital initiative, um, they now require kangaroo care um, as an option for both vaginal and uh, cesarean births. Mm. And it's where essentially as soon as the baby is out, that the baby is placed on um, the birthing person's um, upper chest area where those nerves are, those sea afferent nerves. And it has incredible benefits for both parties. It's not just for the baby, not just for the birthing person, it's for both of them. Is it? Is there benefit for the non-birthing parent as well? Um, there is definitely oxytocin created. Yeah. Um, and Both ways? Um, both ways, but it it can be a really fantastic way to give uh, the birthing person a little bit of a break and for the baby to be able to be satiated and happy and calm um, and be on that that other caretaker. Hmm. And so is that something, I mean, doing it at the hospital is right after a baby's born and and they always do it at a home birth, Um, but is that something that the benefits go on in the next in the next days, weeks, months? Really, ideally, you should be doing kangaroo care for 90-minute um, cycles, ideally as much as possible in the first few weeks um, when baby is born. But there are benefits to it uh, longer term. Not as many benefits have been studied, but we do know that um, uh, they recently con- concluded a longitudinal study that showed that um, well into um, toddler childhood and adulthood that um, by by being in kangaroo care at birth that um, they had uh, better um, social skills and were calmer, happier adults. Hey. Pretty amazing, right? That's incredible. I mean, if you can think forward, 
mm-hmm. about the investment that you're making with that mm-hmm. kangaroo care to have a child who then is calmer and happier. I and mean, has better relationships just through, um, you know, overall having a lower stress state as well. As we know that, you know, oxytocin is important, but what it also does is ensure that those stress hormones don't really creep in. So if baby's up on body and being carried, this, mm-hmm. you know, tr- transcends kangaroo care into baby wearing, is that the higher the baby is off the ground, the lower those stress hormones, the more the baby is responded to, the lower those stress hormones. And really, if we want to talk about having you know, a calmer, happier society, then it starts with birth and it starts with babies and it starts with postpartum. So you've obviously done a a lot of research into this. Um, Is your passion for child baby wearing, did that come from just the fact that it was great to have your hands free and be able to do other things? Or how how did you become that passionate about it? to where now you're a speaker and and very sought after expert on this topic. You know, I I think I realized that the duality of it all is is just so strong is that we are failing in so many ways when it comes to 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 birth and postpartum here we're letting you know, women and birthing people down in the way that we treat them in the lack of informed consent in the violence that I have seen and personally experienced, unfortunately, throughout the birthing process. Mm. And while baby wearing, I I believe is for everyone, I, I believe above that it can be a tool of healing and a tool of uh, really reconciliation and closeness and bonding that can really... Um, help to uh, someone to process the experience and what they they may have experienced in their relationships and through the birthing process as well. You're a Baby Wearing Institute trained baby wearing educator. What goes into that training? Um, I did the Baby Wearing Institute training in, I believe, 2010. And then I've gone on to study with two other baby wearing uh, schools um, just because I believe that my education on this particular topic um, will never end and I'll forever be a student. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently completed the IBCLC training. um, Oh, wow. And I've done two postpartum doula trainings as well because my, my... belief that baby wearing is important, what I've discovered along the way is that while that's a tool and I do think it's important, typically in situations in which I help parents with baby carriers, there's so much more going on. There's so much more to that dynamic. And there's a lot of help and healing and and really just um, holding space for them that kind of needs to occur through the process. And so I may have started out thinking, oh, baby carrying is where it's at. But what I've come to find is that the situations are typically more complicated and they need different levels of support that I want to be able to to give them. So you've got a lot of tools in your tool belt. Um, when when would a parent, when would, would I reach out to a, a, somebody who's baby institute trained or baby trained, baby wearing trained? Really, um, there there is a variety of ways that you can um, work with educators. There are volunteer-style educators through baby wearing groups, which is a really excellent resource in most larger cities and communities. is a free group where you can get help. 
But there are many situations where you may um, want the privacy of your own home, where a baby-wearing educator or consultant might be a better choice. Um, Or if you have special circumstances, if that baby was born premature, um, or if the baby has special needs or special circumstances, if you have multiples, if, if... the help that you found isn't really the answer and you need more than that, there's always um, more help in that arena. And I liken it a lot to lactation where peer support groups are most excellent and I think very, very important, but also are um, experts who are really trained on a variety of facets um, that can really help troubleshoot and and really get you all the detailed answers that you need. Well, you are um, a wealth of information and and there's a lot to know. So I want to start talking about some practical information for parents at home. I think you've established some some great reasons for why baby wearing can be very helpful um, practically to have your hands. And I remember the first time I actually put on a baby carrier with our baby inside it and my wife was out working. And uh, I thought, wow, how am I going to get anything done? And then it was magic. I mean, also the other thing about it is he would just pass out in there just snugly you'd almost forget Mm -hmm. that he's in there if you find the right one and you're you're using it you know in a way that suits your lifestyle and your family it really is it's magical and I love seeing that that aha moment that you know a caregiver can have when they fall asleep in the carrier and they are like, oh my gosh, I can do all the things now, and you know my baby is happy. And we know in carriers that babies cry forty percent less, and that's not a little bit of a statistic. That's really a huge amount, in my opinion. And so, if this could be a solution, especially for those suffering with postpartum depression or who are at higher risk, or for babies being born into higher risk toxic stress situations. This can be an excellent intervention measure. Um, And same goes for breastfeeding. We know that outcomes for breastfeeding uh, duration are a lot longer when a baby carrier is provided. So I feel that this is so much more than just serving a family. This could be really a public health initiative. I really, I agree with that. And we have an episode of our podcast on postpartum mental health with my wife, who's a perinatal psychologist, and uh, Lindsay Lipton-Gerst from when the bell breaks. And um, as you're talking about it, it's not only as an intervention, but also a preventative measure, because one of the things that, that our patients postpartum always say is that they're overwhelmed. There's mm-hmm. so much to do, and I'm tired, and I don't have the energy to do it. And when the baby's awake, I can't get anything done. But you can get a lot done. They don't need so much. They just want to be close to you. And if you can have them close to you and still have your hands free, that uh, that gives you an advantage. And I think so much of our modern society has come up with this idea that proximity is somehow negative, that the baby will have to rely on you then or will will need some, you know, really training out of it later. But really, your baby, like we talked about earlier in terms of maturity, is so immature. Really, they want you. And that's such a really beautiful thing when you think about it, that you've carried around this this baby for a period of time, almost a year, and, and you're really all that they know. And it's a natural and normal thing for them to want to come out and be with you. I think that that's really kind of amazing if you think well, about yeah, it. Yeah, when you put it that way, you, you, you are a baby carrier for the first mm-hmm. nine months. You're the first one. You're just, you're just <laughs> continuing it on, right, on the yeah. other side of the wall. And I think that especially coming at it you know, in terms of talking about par- postpartum mental health, you know, it can be 
overwhelming just the idea of choosing a carrier. But really, I think where we're failing is reaching parents prenatally, that a baby carrier is not an optional purchase. A stroller would really be an optional purchase, but that having a carrier that will last and that fits them well and that they have resources on how to use it um, is is really important. Are there people, either either parents or babies, that are a baby carrier would not be a good idea for? Um, sure, there are there are a few special circumstances where you know maybe um, there are physical reasons why they can't be in a carrier, um, but those are quite rare. I find that really most parents just don't have the right carrier for them. If it hurts, please stop and seek out some help. There is a carrier for you out there. Okay, would you say the same about the baby? If the baby, because you said babies tend to cry less when you wear them, if your baby cries every time they go in the carrier may not be the right one for you? I would say that there could be different things going on. It could be the way that the carrier is adjusted. Mm -hmm. It could be the phase that that baby is going through, and you might need some insight to that. It could just not be the right carrier. may not fit you guys. So you might need to seek out some help at that point. But in my experience with over really almost 10 years of baby carrying-specific experience, I I really have been able to fit every baby. And if there is a baby that's so, so really hysterical, then in my experience, there's typically other things going on. That baby needs an adjustment. There might be some torticollis going on or some other physical things that need to be addressed. That makes a lot of sense. Um, How early can you put a baby into a carrier? So as long as baby is in good health, um, but it's really two parts. If the baby is premature or really a newborn, I really ideally would like to see kangaroo care being the priority. Um, doing that skin to skin and not using a carrier at all, just being in bed and taking that really important postpartum period to rest and recover. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you could do that skin to skin with a carrier as well. With, with some carriers, not necessarily mm-hmm. all carriers. Some right. carriers actually have fabric in between the between, baby yeah. and the wearer. And mm-hmm. so that wouldn't allow for good kangaroo care or skin to skin contact. Um, but really, most carriers you can start from newborn period on. And, and how big? Do they go up to? Like, how long can you carry in the longest carrier? Um, there are carriers that go well into preschool size. Um, and I'm really thankful for those options, being a special needs mom myself, being able to put my older child on my back um, when they weren't able to walk or when they were a flight risk. It was an incredible help. So I'm glad mm. more than ever that we have size options for really every family unit. You know, it's uh, kind, of, kind of interesting because when we, we we have four kids, we're blessed with four kids, and as uh, as we have more kids and put them in the carrier, the older kids would get jealous. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I think she was like four, and she was she was desperate to get into that carrier <laughs> and be worn around. And and my wife even tried it. I think at some point, I I wasn't. I was like, you do it, and if. if I can fix your back, but who's going to fix mine? Um, we have a lot more to talk about. There are so many different types of carriers, and um, and it's our listeners are going to want to know how, where they start, how do they find, what are the different categories, and how do they find one that's right for them. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and those are the things we'll talk about when we come right back with Laura Brown. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, 
often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're continuing our discussion of baby wearing with Laura Brown. All right, so many different types of carriers. Where do you start? I think a good thing to start with is evaluating where you might be wearing a carrier, so what your lifestyle is. Um, Many parents um, choose uh, a buckle-style carrier. Uh, That's statistically the most purchased-style carrier. That's a carrier that buckles on with buckles. Typically, they're plastic buckles thinking that this will be the easiest option. And really, after years of teaching, I've come to find that it's really one of the most difficult to fit just because it's a pre-designed size, meaning the the carrier shape is already created, and then you have to pop that baby in there and make the baby fit, as opposed to something like a wrap or a ring sling or an Asian-style carrier where you're wrapping it to fit you perfect every time. So are those more of the of the sort of like one piece of fabric? Typically, carriers? they're... Um, That's the wrap. A wrap would be, um, there's really two main styles. One that is a stretchy style fabric that's typically for newborns and small infants. And then there is what's called a woven style wrap, which is um, not stretchy, and it's typically woven on a loom. Uh, it does not have give to it, so that means it has a little bit of a higher learning curve to learn how to use, but it also has one of the highest payouts because you can really use it from birth all the way through until college or you're done wearing Whoa. it. <laughs> That's I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, the those wraps seem to have a, a learning curve to begin with. I mean, it's ju- it's literally a giant piece of fabric. I remember my wife using that one, and uh, she just looked like a little ninja. By the time she was she got it down and she was good at it. She could do the whole thing in, in under a minute and just it was like wah, 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 wah. I really think it's like tying your shoes. Like the first few times you're like, oh my goodness. And then the third time, fourth time, you'll do it without even thinking about it. But really it's why I'm such a big advocate for in-person help. If you can get in-person help, there's nothing that replaces that. I'm glad that YouTube videos exist, yeah. but having someone there with you to just give you some quick tips and tricks on how to do it can be immensely 
really helpful. But it's not just for wraps. I find most parents don't have the opportunity or don't think to try on carriers first before their baby comes or to touch them and hold them and prioritize what features they want. And then they end up needing a lot of help because they made the wrong decision or the wrong purchase to begin with. And the, and where you would do that is at the peer groups that you were talking about? Yeah, or... peer groups like baby wearing meetings. Or I find that now most birth centers or um, some hospitals even have baby wearing 101 style classes, just like you would learn about introductory breast feeding, I feel that most parents really ideally should take a class prenatally about why to carry their baby and how to carry their and baby. And how. Because one of the great things about you is you come with a lot of the different models and you get to see them and, and feel them and put them on and and see how, you know, we, we, we also have an episode on, on car seats mm-hmm. with uh, Jen Saxton. and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I know Jen. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm married to a car seat tech myself. My husband is a car seat tech. Ah. And I'm about to take the CPST course myself in oh, a couple wow. of weeks. So um, car seat safety to me is incredibly important as well. Um, I would like to see less babies, however, in car seats um, outside of the car because statistically it's the least safe place for your baby. And baby on your body is the safest place. Yeah. Well, you'll have both sides of it covered shortly mm-hmm. when you finish your training. Do all the things, wear all the babies, all the information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she was also talking about how there's, again, in that area too, there's so many different car seats. Um, and she's like, when people ask her what's the right car seat, she says it's the car seat that fits your car, mm-hmm. fits your child, and that's going to be easy enough for you to use properly every time. Yeah. Can you get your baby in and out of it by yourself? And and do you understand how it functions? Then, you know, carriers are similar. Carriers are similar in that way. What? So you mentioned the buckle type and the wrap type, Mm -hmm. both the stretchy and the woven wrap type. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you mentioned a sling ring, ring sling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my absolute favorites. I love it for newborns all the way through toddlers. And it's essentially a piece of fabric with uh, two aluminum rings connected at the end. Um, They are worn typically over one shoulder. And what I really love about it is they're really lightweight, one layer, easy on and off. And it's really an excellent carrier if you plan on breastfeeding. It, It seems some of these, when I try them, they seem scary at first. I really like you're going to drop your baby. I feel like with a lot of new parents especially, hold the way that I watch them interact with their baby is actually something that I, I try to do every single time before I work with them. Um, I spend a little bit of time asking them questions, but I'm also observing how they're handling and holding their baby. And I feel like we have impressed on caregivers here so much that babies are so fragile Mm -hmm. and that they're so breakable. And this just isn't really true. It's really more culture than it is medical, especially when it comes to supporting the baby's head and the way we hold them. Um, It's very fear-based and that makes me super sad because they're really quite amazingly durable little creatures who are used to being, you know, held and maneuvered onto our bodies and and really what they need is 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 motion and movement and that comes about because we become comfortable holding them and i think that the more we talk about touch and impress that touch is is not optional that we need to be you know touching our babies and holding them and really as adults you know having a little bit more um you know greeting each other with our hands and and hugging and and embracing obviously in you know situations in which it's consensual but 
you know, I think that that will help us to have a better understanding and feeling overall on what it is to hold a baby and to become comfortable with them in our arms. And that will translate into using a carrier will be kind of that natural next step. It's a little embarrassing, but uh, right after my son was born, uh, my he would wake up and feed early in the morning and uh, while I was sleeping. And then I, I thought it'd be nice for my wife to be able to get a nap. So I decided to take him and put him in the shiny new stroller that we had, like literally a week after he was born. And go, we live right by a park, so I'd go walk through the park with the baby. I thought it'd be good for him, good for me, good for my wife. Uh, and then <laughs> I put him in the stroller, and we have three steps uh, outside our house that you have to go up. And <clears throat> I put him in the stroller, and I was wheeling him all around. And then at the end, when we came home, he was sleeping, and I thought, oh, I can't take him out. I'm going to wake him up. So I got to bring the stroller and the baby upstairs. And I had never contemplated how you get a stroller up three stairs. Mm -hmm. And it's so simple now. You just turn it around and bring it up backwards. But I was at first I was like I was trying to push the handlebar down so the front wheels would go up onto the step. And then I was going to lift it. But then there's no more leverage. <laughs> um, and nobody talked to me about this ahead of time. And, uh, you know, and I'm well-educated and fairly intelligent, but for some reason maybe underslept. It didn't occur to me. Um, anyway, I also didn't really fully buckle him into the stroller. And so when I pushed the handles down, I had to keep pushing and pushing to get those front wheels up. He rolled out the back. And he just almost rolled a few <laughs> feet down the drive. And he woke up and he cried. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, why did they let me have this child? <laughs> I, I'm not deserving and uh, I ran and I picked him up and I looked at him and he he was he looked fine and and then he looked at me in my eyes and I was like okay we're not telling mom about this <laughs> well she knows now never gonna let us that's right <laughs> never gonna let us go on a walk again but I think you made some really great points about really understanding and familiarizing yourself with all your baby gear and all the things that you get before the baby comes. It really is always surprising to me when parents are like, we've never opened this carrier. And, you know, we looked at it, but we didn't read the instructions. And I think that that's such, especially a U.S. centric, you know, I'm using quotes, but problem is that we don't really get to know or understand any of our baby gear. And beyond that, like as parents, like we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect people. And it, it's sort of part of the journey. I think a parenthood is learning, you know, really learning as you go and learning as you use things is you're going to have a new understanding and appreciation for each stage. In addition to the types of carriers that you pointed out already, um, there's also front wearing, back wearing, side wearing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I, I like to think about it like a natural orbit where baby starts on your front uh, facing you high on your body so that you can reach down and kiss the top of their head. We call it close enough to kiss or uh, visible and kissable. Um, and really what that does is it helps you to sample that little bacteria on the top of the baby's head and then make the antibodies for it. It's really quite an amazing little exchange mm. that your body has with the baby. But then as baby gets older and they start to have head and neck control, they start to really assert themselves and move around more against you and, uh, you know, against your body. This is them actually building muscles. So it's a lot like 
uh, tummy time. We're really the one of the only countries that does this and, and, and prescribes tummy time to new parents because we don't hold them enough. We don't interact with them enough. And it's really the movement against us and being carried that helps them to build those muscles and that good head and neck control. So once baby gains all of that, then they can start moving over to our hip with that good head and neck control. You can start facing them out in a carrier if that's something that interests you. It's definitely dependent on your family and your your really what your baby is interested in. And then as baby starts to get stronger in their core, many find back wearing is like next level amazing because they have their hands and their front totally free. But I find as toddlers get older, especially if you still have a nursing toddler, they tend to migrate back around to your front again. Oh, they want to come back and mm-hmm. be with you. And be with you, yeah. And their side. Yeah, you can hip wear. Uh, I really find this uh, really, really helpful during that fussy baby wearing age. It's typically, you know, three and a half, four months to seven, eight months when they get really curious and they're turning their head and they're craning around to see. It's often uh, misinterpreted by parents when they push off you like that or when they turn their head that they don't care for baby wearing anymore. And that's really not the case. They're just using you as a gym and they're pushing off with both their arms and their upper thighs. Mm. And that's what's helping them to build those muscles and to really do the exercise that they would be doing on the ground. What kinds of things can you do with the carrier? Like what are the limits of it? Can you exercise with a carrier? I sometimes see people hiking. Yeah, I think it's uh, the general rule is, you know, if you need extra gear like a helmet to do it, you don't want to wear your baby while doing it. <laughs> right, okay. um, so, you know, no skiing or horseback riding. But I, you know, uh, also that's cultural. There are some cultures that that's perfectly acceptable to them. That's how in some cultures, that's how they get from point A to point B. Absolutely. Same with bike riding here. We would absolutely not be okay with that. But, you know, in most of Europe, they wear their babies and they bike around they because bike that's down. what they have to do. And but, during pregnancy, too. Oh, absolutely. And here we're just like, oh, you can't do anything when, you know, you're pregnant and, and have a baby. But really, um, I find most physical activities, you know, within reason, you can include your baby. Swimming wouldn't be one of them. Boating wouldn't be one of them. <laughs> um, but I find, especially if you're doing hiking and walking around your neighborhood, if, you know, you're, you're active um, prior to having a baby, this is a wonderful way to get your baby involved in your life pre-baby to get some exercise, fresh air, get out of the house. So, I'm, I believe there's a king of Scotland whose mother was riding horseback and um, she fell off the horse and died. And they cut him out before he died, right? It was like wow. one of the earliest cesareans. I believe that's a true story. But uh, whether it's true or not, I told my my son about it, and he goes, why was his mother horseback riding while she was pregnant? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just what she did? That's how they got from her. That would be like that's saying someone got injured in a car accident, accident today. Yeah. Why was she in a car? <laughs> um, are there carriers that are better or worse suited for breastfeeding on the go? Can you feed while you're wearing? Most carriers are 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 perfectly fine for breastfeeding, um, but so much is going to depend fit-wise on your anatomy. That includes your shape of your body, your size, your breast size, the way your nipples face. All those things kind of come into uh, play when it comes to picking out a carrier. You probably don't want to choose a carrier, however, that has something in between the baby and you, has a harness on the inside, mm-hmm. because that's going to block access to breasts. That makes sense. Uh, there are carriers where you can wear more than one baby in there. 
Yes and no. <laughs> no? Tell me more about that. Um, there has been um, um, really over the past, I think it's seven years now, so since 2010, there is actually new regulations around baby carriers. And this was kind of um, a natural um, kind of it was really all baby gear in general is is regulated by the government, but really up until this point, baby carriers weren't. Since 2010, there's been new regulations created around baby carriers. All baby gear is regulated by the government or the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And as a part of this, um, buckle carriers and Asian-style carriers were the first um, to have a standard. Uh, and now, um, coming up very soon, I believe in February, ring slings and wraps will also be held to this standard. And that means that they need to be labeled appropriately um, with very specific um, points, but also that they have to be safety tested. And as a part of this new standard, um, it is actually one baby per carrier. Always. One baby per carrier. Uh, but you may, um, you know, depending on um, what they're saying is working with a consultant or if you see a baby wearing group or, you know, getting outside help, especially, there are going to be situations in which you can carry two babies um, in two carriers and that those two carriers work together. Okay. So, because it used to be you could wear two, like twins, let's mm-hmm. say, in one baby carrier. Mm-hmm. But with the new regulations, no two babies in one carrier. It doesn't mean that people won't be doing it off-label, uh-huh. but that the brands and the manufacturers itself may not recommend that. Correct. Okay. But I have seen, like, uh, I've seen devices recently that look like, maybe it's what you described, two carriers that work mm-hmm. together, but they're, they're connected somehow. I really love the option of having two carriers that work well together because if you have multiples, you likely will need to split them up at some particular juncture where maybe one parent and another parent wears uh, each one separately. And then if one person needed to put both carriers together, they could complement one another. So that would be my preference when recommending carriers for twins or um, you actually could technically wear three, but I would recommend getting Oh, wow, three carriers. So it's like (laughs) one in front, one in back, one on the side? Yeah, kind of two on the sides and a baby on your back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause, and then it's all, that could also be helpful for an older child and a younger child if you have a 16-month-old and a newborn. Absolutely. Tandem wearing has increased in popularity. I wouldn't say that, you know, it's super common to see, but I do believe that it could be an amazing tool for someone if they knew it was an option. Right. Okay. I'm glad I asked that question. Um, are there, when you're putting your baby into your carrier, are there, like, major things to look for to, to know that they're in there correctly? So I I am a big fan of when you get a carrier, um, whether it's brand new or or secondary, secondhand, um, read the instruction manual. I promise the manufacturer has put a lot of thought Mm -hmm. into um, their recommendations and their directions. This is something that I have a lot of experience with because I help with the instructions for manufacturers. And they really have, most of them now have really most excellent videos, YouTube videos, and lots and lots of resources online for you to learn how to use that very specific carrier because each one has very different features and quirks. But most of the time I find um, what's good to look for is, is the baby high on your body? Can you lean down and kiss the top of the baby's head? Most using a new carrier have a tendency to wear the baby too low. 
um, by having the baby high and snug in the carrier, being able to see the baby's face and airway, you're going to know your baby is connected to you and safe and that you're really moving as one unit. And that's what's going to be easiest on your body is if your baby's close to you and secure to you, it's going to be much easier on your body and your back. That's another question. If somebody already has some back pain or neck issues or things like that, um, can they still baby wear? Typically, yes. I find that they end up carrying the baby anyway in their arms. So mm-hmm. I would rather them have a carrier that is distributing the weight all around their body, depending on their particular circumstances, obviously. But most of the time what I see, what ends up happening is they carry around the car seat instead. And we all know how hard yeah. infant seats are on their body because they're carrying it with one arm and it's pulling them into you know, the direction of, of the car seat. Or they're holding the baby awkwardly where the baby is not... Um, curled into them and not engaging muscles and not helping with the wearing process and it's a lot harder on their body and so obviously case by case basis but I recommend you know if you have a, a practitioner or a chiropractor speaking to them about it and you know hopefully they have a relationship with a baby wearing consultant or educator in the area and you can work together to find something that's going to be good for your body. Are there um, pet peeve myths about baby wearing? Yes. Absolutely. For you. Um, For the longest time, there was a lot of information that was getting passed around that baby carrying causes hip problems or hip dysplasia. And for the baby. For the baby. Uh, this isn't true. Um, hip dysplasia or developmental dysplasia of the hip is a genetic condition. Mm-hmm. Babies who are born breech, you know all about breech babies. I sure um, do. <laughs> are at a higher risk of um, hip dysplasia as are multiples. Mm-hmm. Um, However, um, this is something that your caregiver, your pediatrician would already know about. Your baby is going to get screened for it. And really, babies um, are most at risk at the less than six months, but really less than three-month period. And so really, the best thing you could do is wear your baby um, in a spread squat position as a preventative tool. Um, spread squat, meaning that baby is supported um, with their knees at or above their bottom um, to get that really nice seat. But above and beyond what that does is it helps baby to engage their muscles, to work and and push against you, um, and is more likely to be more comfortable on your body. So there's a lot more to it than just um, narrow base carriers or carriers that face out um, cause hip problems. Um, you would know, um, hopefully, most likely, if it's in your family, um, if it's if it's genetic, then a good carrier that distributes the weight well and holds the baby in a squat would be a, a really excellent tool. So you're saying even if they do have hip dysplasia, mm-hmm. that the, um, the the carrier could be helpful anyway. Absolutely. If a baby uh, did have uh, hip dysplasia, then a baby would be casted or uh, in a brace uh, in a squat position, just as they'd be held in and what we carrier. call an ergonomic carrier. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Any other uh, pet peeves? I think that, you know, so much of our society, you know, impresses that our babies become, you know, spoiled or, or dependent on us by being held. And I really believe at my core that that couldn't be further from the truth, that we just have to be able to meet their needs when we can in the moment. And 
really all of that independence comes later. We don't we need to worry about the independence of our little tiny babies who really just know nothing more than to communicate their basic needs. So I find that really um, learning to hold baby and have a carrier as a support system for that um, can lead to really some really wonderful lifelong benefits. And there really isn't any any need to worry about spoiling a newborn or a small baby. I've learned a lot from you today. Oh, thank you. Such a pleasure. Uh, I always learn a lot whenever I talk to you and see you present on this topic. And um, it's sort of wonderful to be in the company of somebody who's so passionate about what you do. Um, And for me, making these choices, even with all the information you shared and reading the instructions and watching videos online, I'm the kind of person that would really feel more safe and secure and benefit from working directly with a baby-wearing consultant or a baby-wearing educator. Are there ways that people can find, is there a directory or some somehow people can find a, an educator near them? I, I highly recommend uh, looking at the website for Center for Baby Wearing Studies. There is a find an educator uh, locator button where you can find someone local or um, a peer-to-peer group would be Baby Wearing International, would be the nonprofit peer-to-peer group organization, or to just Google baby wearing in your city. You'd be surprised at how many really fantastic independent nonprofits are out there. Like here in Los Angeles, we have Baby Wearing LA, the group that I founded. We really just want to help parents make their parenting journey easier and we want to meet you it doesn't have to be a big commitment it can be that you know you're really coming to see us in your time of need for just a little bit of information and we're happy to be able to meet you there where you are i'll say one other thing that i thought was brilliant from baby wearing manufacturers is uh we got a carrier and they made a doll version of the same carrier mm-hmm. yeah which was really helpful that's how we got the four-year-old not to go into the baby carrier <laughs> We got her to wear her her doll instead in the same way that mom was. Yeah, there's some adorable doll carriers out there, and it makes a really fantastic um, holiday uh, goodie or birthday goodie. And all my all my children have their own carriers, although I will say that my oldest, um, who is uh, almost nine years old, has his own actual baby carrier to carry my youngest, who just turned one. Oh, wow. That's Pretty super neat, sweet. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he loves it. He says um, one day he wants to be a pediatrician. Oh, Pretty so bad. Be- Beautiful. And I bet he'll be just as passionate about that as you are about this. I hope so. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you like our program, share us with your friends, rate us, and leave a comment in your podcast app. And be sure to visit us online for lots more pregnancy and parenting media at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my babies too. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered 
Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.